Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. We're going to continue in our study in the book of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 7 through 35. And I hope many of you are excited about Harvest Games. So they said, please, Pastor, make it short. And the last two weeks, some of you are like, what's going on? It's ended so early. So that is our goal. We're going to try to end it quick. And I might just even stop in the middle if I'm going overtime. So forgive me if I speak really fast because there's so much to share because we're going over chunks of the Bible in the book of Mark. And so I feel like sometimes we don't do justice to it because you could just study one word and get so many insights cross-referencing. But we want to be able to cover the material so that you have a better grasp of the gospel. And that's our hope and prayer. So hopefully you've turned to Mark chapter 3 and verse 7 through 35. You can get notes from it, whether in our church app or if you're part of a life group, uh, the leaders probably sent it over to you so you could follow along on the notes. I wanted to start off and talk uh, about this idea of an encounter with the supernatural. So let me, let me ask you this question. I'm wondering how many of us, please don't raise your hand, This is just a rhetorical question. How many of you have experienced something in the spiritual, kind of like the supernatural world that has defied logic and also caused you to kind of wonder, wow, this is like beyond me? I hope many of you guys can testify, many of us can testify that this is something that we've experienced because God is a God of supernaturals. I believe that God wants to work in your life in such a way that you realize that no human effort, whatever it is, or just even logic can solve some of the problems in this world, but it has to be through an empower encounter with Jesus Christ. I think there are so many stories of people who have experienced and who have encountered the supernatural, that they were eyewitnesses. They were able to uh, see it, experience it, and in fact, they can give an account to every single one of you of what they experienced. And that's why when I was thinking about this, I'm like, why is it that some people experience the supernatural work of God? Why is it that some people experience these miracles and other people don't? And so I, I began to ask myself, why not? Why is it that only a few of us might have experienced it? But why is it that so many other people, and if not every single person in the church, why haven't we experienced the supernatural work of God? some kind of power encounter. And as I was just kind of thinking about this, I realized that if you believe that God is good, that he's sovereign, that he is all-powerful, and that he has your best interests in mind, then my question is, why would we not expect and believe that God can work in us in a supernatural way or in our situation in a supernatural way? So as I was thinking about this, I realized one of the reasons is that we don't expect these supernatural things. I think part of it is because for whatever reason, we weren't seeking it. We don't know about it. uh, We just don't expect it. So we get up in the morning. We live every single day throughout the week, and we don't expect God to supernaturally work in our lives. Another reason, I think, is also because there are many of us who are very skeptical, uh, partly due to our very logical side. Everything has to be proved by science. But I always tell people, if it's proven by science that it's no longer supernatural, that's why they call it super, 
natural. It exceeds the natural in the realm of the world where you could explain things through science. Another reason I believe is because many of us, we don't live by faith. We don't trust in God and trusting that he will work in our lives. I think there is nothing more convincing about the supernatural than encountering evil spirits. And as some of you probably heard, I've shared it over the pulpit. Some of you I shared it personally as we're meeting or counseling, whatever the case may be. But I have witnessed casting out of demonic spirits in people. I've gone to different places around the world where I began to experience these demonic manifestation, even in a church gathering. So like no matter how much you try to convince me, there is no such thing as the supernatural or even evil or the demonic forces. All I can say to you is I have witnessed it. I have seen it. And you cannot defy that because why? It's my personal experience that I've gone through. And so what I wanted to do is I want to show you this video. Now, before I show it, this is a trigger warning. So I'm going to tell you right now, uh, those of you who are, always get scared, uh, tonight you know you will not sleep, even though not because you won the harvest uh, trophy, but you cannot sleep because you're going to be so scared. I I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and maybe close your ears. But I want to show you this because I think it's important to understand that we live not only in the natural but there is a supernatural, a spiritual realm that many of us are clueless to. And in fact, I want to challenge you, even though I'm giving you a trigger warning so you could prepare yourself, I want to challenge you to even just be able to see and watch because many of us have never experienced it. What I'm going to show you is a, a special that they did. It was by uh, a newscast in the States. They did a, a special on exorcism. Now, before you go crazy and thinking like heads will spin, just hold on. There was this lady who was possessed by demons. And once again, somebody like, ah, oh, that's all fake. It's a psychological. But when I saw this, I'm like, that's exactly what I saw in Mexico. That's exactly what I saw in Peru. That's exactly what I saw in Uganda. That's exactly what I saw in Rwanda. That's exactly what I saw in Kenya. I mean, every single country that I have visited, when we had to take out or pray against demonic spirits, these are the kind of things that I have seen. So it's like very familiar. As I saw this, I'm like, that's exactly what happened. And so I want to show you this, not to, for a sensationalist kind of feeling, but listen to me carefully, because I want us to open our eyes to a realm in a world that we don't even think about on a given day. And I also want to challenge us that not to put fear in you, but to actually elicit faith. Because if Jesus says that he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world, the question is, do we believe that? And if we do, then we should not be afraid. We have all the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us, that we have all the power that Christ has resurrected from the dead. That resurrection power is now ours through the Holy Spirit that we are able to come against in faith and also with prayer to fight some of these things. So once again, I don't know how many times I have to keep on saying it's a trigger warning. So if some of you are scared, some of you start freaking out, then close your eyes, close your ears, you know, uh, go outside for a second like you're going to the bathroom. Uh, but I want to show you this because she's sharing her personal testimony and the, the priest who's known as the exorcist priest uh, is going to 
show himself and how he does it. So, like I said, I'm, I'm giving you a warning ahead of time. So don't, don't come to me after. And I'm like, I'm mad at you, pastor. Why did you do that? I'm like, I gave you five warnings, okay? Go to the bathroom right now, all right? Uh, close your eyes. Close your ears. Do whatever you need to, okay? So we'll try to put the volume not too loud so you could just put on your earphones right now, all right? Just, just go stream, uh, scroll through some social media, all right? Uh, okay. Do you guys need more trigger warnings? Okay, is, is that good enough? Because if I didn't say anything, I showed it, some people were like, Pastor, I hate you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I want to make sure <laughs> that we're good, okay? Church to somebody, are you good? Go ahead and tell them, are you good? Okay. Can I just say, let's not get so enamored by what's happening, but listen to what they're saying, okay? That's what's important. It's a personal testimony of what happened. All right, let's watch it together. Some of you are probably thinking, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> let's just say I warned you a lot of times, so downplayed it. We had to edit some parts because there were some parts that were a little bit crazy. Those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, when you look at the gospel accounts, the first book, four books of the New Testament, there are overwhelming evidences for the power encounter with evil spirits and Jesus and his disciples. I just think that living in Hong Kong, that it disguises itself a little bit better. It could come in the form of materialism. It could come in the form of sensualism. It could come in so many different ways. But one thing that I want us to understand is that this realm, this world of the supernatural and of the spirits, it's a real thing. And that's why you'll be amazed at how many times Jesus casted out demons in the New Testament, in, in the stories that we read in the Bible. And whenever Jesus came into a town, people with these evil spirits, they will cry out and even acknowledge Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God. So today I want to talk about Jesus' power. I want to talk about how his power can work in your life so that some of us who might be in bondage or who might be struggling with certain sin issues, some of you who just feel like you just cannot set yourself free, that we will cry out to Jesus this morning and to experience the true freedom that God has for us. As I mentioned, we're covering this book of Mark. The first two chapters, we've already finished. And we talked about the preparation of how God was preparing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come into this world and to do ministry. And that's why in chapter 3, as we read the first six verses last week, we're going to start from verse 7, and we're going to start talking about the proclamation. Proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the power of God, the kingdom of God is here and what that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ. If you remember, I mentioned when we first got started several weeks back, I said that when we go through the book of Mark, it is my prayer that three things will happen throughout our time together. This is going to go all the way towards 2023 sometime in May or April. And so these are the three things that I'm praying for every single time, as even as I'm preparing the message, I'm praying that these three things you will experience, even as you do life group and go over the passages 
together in your life group. The first one is this, that you will deepen your love for Jesus Christ. That is my hope and prayer, that as we go over the book of Mark, that your love for Jesus will deepen, that he will become the most precious thing, more precious than anyone else or anything else in this world. The second thing is this, that we will develop a stronger understanding of the gospel. We have too many religious people who just go to church or go to life group. We need people who are deeply and developing this greater sense of the gospel and how that really sets us free. It's not religion. It's not us trying to do more things, but it's understanding the gospel, the sinfulness of our hearts. But in spite of that, Jesus Christ in his grace and his love. And that's why I could always, whenever I sit down and talk with I always know when someone understands the gospel and even to the depth of how they understand it. It's how they, what they say, what, the, what they do in their lives. And more and more as I'm meeting some of us and as I'm hearing different things that are going on, I realize what we need more than anything else is, is a deeper understanding of the gospel. That's half of the battle. So we want to see that happen as we cover the book of Mark. The third thing is this, that we will devote ourselves to be witnesses as we live for the kingdom of God. I pray that as we go over the book of Mark, it will inspire you to say, I'm part of this, I'm a citizen of this kingdom. And how do I live my life every single day as I get up in the morning for the glory of God? So I want to encourage us to think about what does it mean to devote myself my whole life for living for the kingdom of God? So today what I'm going to talk about is very simple, and it's in this one thing. And the one thing is this. Jesus is the one who's praiseworthy because his power is noteworthy. You will see in these stories the power of Jesus Christ, why it sticks out, why it's even noteworthy that we have to pay attention to because him and he and his power alone is praiseworthy. That's what we praise God for because what he is doing in his character in our lives. So I'm going to go ahead and take the four stories in verses uh, 7 through 35, and I'm going to highlight these four stories into two points. And something that you really have to pay attention to is I'm going to skip. Not, I'm not going to go in sequence, but I'm going to go in thematic approach. And so there's going to be the first point that I'm going to mention, and then we're going to skip over a couple of these verses, and then we go back to those verses as we cover the last thematic idea that we see in this passage so that we will know that Jesus is the one who is praiseworthy because his power is noteworthy. The first point is this, that Jesus' power confronts spirits. That Jesus' power confronts spirits. As we have seen in chapters 1 and 2, we've studied that God was preparing his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Now, we will see this proclamation of the kingdom through the demonstration of Jesus' power. So God was preparing him to do the ministry, and one of the first things that he does is he begins to proclaim this kingdom, not just in word, but in action and in power. That's what you need to understand, that the ministry that he begins to do, it is about a power that the kingdom of God is so much more powerful than any other kingdom on this earth. So let's go ahead and read verse 7 through 12. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and uh, Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. 
and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let me just expound on this story. The first story that we talk about as we're talking about Jesus' power confronts spirits, especially evil spirits. See, what's happening now is that he's picking up momentum. People are knowing who this Jesus is. Why? Because he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing all these miraculous things as he's talking about the kingdom of God. It is not just in word, but it, it is about the power of God that is manifested through the kingdom of God. And so what's happening is all these people from different regions, as we just read, were all coming to Jesus because they realized that he was gathering at that one place. Now, I don't know about you, but when you start growing in popularity, when you start growing in just kind of like an influencer, it is so easy to get caught up in this, but we notice that Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he says the crowds were so large, we notice what Mark says, that he had to find another way to deal with this crowd. So he told his disciples, get a boat ready just in case if they come and just swap me, I could get on the boat and say, <laughs> I could just then escape in that way. And that's why you will notice in verse 10 through 11, as we just read, we see the reason why they wanted to be around Jesus. Because the Bible says there was nothing about him that was beautiful or good looking. In fact, he, he looked like, you know, someone that was marred and someone who was not appealing. That's what we see in the Isaiah passage that talks about who Jesus is. There was nothing about his external figure, but we see that people were drawn to Jesus. And the question is why? And you will notice in verse 10 and 11, they believed that Jesus had supernatural power to heal and to confront unclean spirits. There were so many people who were being possessed by demonic spirits in this region that even when they, these demonic spirits saw Jesus, what did they do? They recognized who Jesus was, and they understood that Jesus was the Son of God, and then the kingdom of God is here. I want to just encourage us and to remind us that we are living in a spiritual warfare on a daily basis. As I shared earlier, many of us wake up and we go through the whole day and forget that there's an enemy who wants to bring us down. We forget that there are evil principalities and forces around this world, darkness, that tries to capture your heart and to distract you from loving God and doing the things that he's called you to do. He doesn't want you to live as citizens of the kingdom. That's why he will use guilt. That's why some of us who are struggling with depression even because of the guilt or the sin that we have committed, whatever it is, he plays with our mind over and over. We've been talking about this the whole summer, about the freedom, the 50 days of freedom. And these are the weapons that Satan uses. It's lies, deceit. And for many of us, we have just bought into it rather than saying, wait a minute, I'm in the midst of this spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And in the bold type, will you read it with me out loud? It says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of 
the unseen world. So once again, you cannot see it. A lot of times, it's, it's just a presence that you feel. It's the unseen world. And it says, against mighty powers in this dark world. I mean, we're not talking maybe just physically dark, but you know that when you look at some of the things in society and things that are happening, that that's not right. That's not from God. Like some of these things are pure evil. And then it says, and what? Against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's this heavenly, this realm of the spirit world where some of these evil spirits and the angels of God are warring. But this is the thing. Many times we talk about this, some of us get scared. And can I just encourage us, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no reason to be afraid. Because Jesus Christ has conquered death and the grave. Because he resurrected from the dead, the power of resurrection is so much greater than whatever Satan can do. That's why, if you remember what Paul says, oh, death, where is your what? Sting. Because that was the last weapon. It was like, you know, like a gun, and it's like six bullets. He shot the fifth one and the sixth one, and he's like, click, click, click. That last bullet was death. But Jesus conquered the grave so that when we die, that we will have eternal life. We will spend the rest of eternity with, with Christ. That's why it says, oh, death, where is your sting? It can no longer hurt us and harm us because we don't just live here temporarily on this earth, but we're going to live forever in eternity. So therefore, we have the confidence that no matter what we face in our lives, that Satan cannot harm us because we are children of God. Now, I always get this question, Pastor, can Christ followers get demon-possessed? And I always tell them, read your Bible. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say that a believer, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, can ever be possessed by the evil spirits. Why? Because when you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And so because the Holy Spirit now resides in you, Satan cannot possess you. But let me tell you what he can do. He can oppress you. And some people are like, what is oppression? Well, the only thing I can think of, can I see, were there any wrestlers in this room, like high school, junior high, or whatever, wrestlers, anybody? No wrestlers. Okay, Kuma, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> violin, okay. Uh, wrestling. Some of you know wrestling. Or you've seen it, WWF. The best way I could explain how Satan can oppress us, even as followers, but he cannot possess us. Possession means we're just this outer shell, and the Spirit uses our voices, our hands, everything about us to do his purposes. Satan cannot do that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit's in you. But he can oppress you, and that simply means when you think about a wrestling move and someone has you in a headlock. Or someone gives you a bear hug and they're holding on to you. You still have your faculties. You can still move, but you cannot move fully. And it just seems like you're being oppressed. That is something that we see that it can happen. That's why there are some of us where we just feel like maybe you come back from a retreat or a getaway and things are going really great. And all of a sudden you feel this heaviness and you just get into now all the things you didn't do for a couple of days. 
Some of us, even after the 50 days of freedom that we had during the summer, some of you have gotten back into some of those addictive behaviors. So once again, Satan is not going to let you go. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion waiting and prowling around to pounce on us. That's why we have to always be vigilant and diligent in prayer. So we see this, that every single time the Spirit sees Jesus, they start calling out or they start shrieking and they say, this is the Son of God because he's that much more powerful than anyone else. Let's continue as we read now verse 22 through 30. So I'm going to skip over uh, verse 13 through 21 for later, but I want to talk about the confronting the spirits. So you'll see another story that in this timeline that he comes across. So let's read this together. It says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And then by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. For they are saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, th this, is, this is loaded stuff as we're talking about Jesus' power confronting spirits. See, we notice that the scribes or the teachers of the law, they came to Jerusalem accusing Jesus of being possessed by this, this spirit, this Beelzebul. Now, in other translations, the word Beelzebul can be translated as Beelzebub. And the reason why is that if you study that word, it simply means the master of the house. So the spirit is now the master of the house, which is oftentimes our body, because it is a temple of God. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are just a, a shell that Satan now can enter in and to use your faculties for his own purposes. Simply what they were accusing Jesus of is this, that how can Jesus, who they believe is demon-possessed, drive out these demons which Satan is working so what, he, what they're saying is simply this. Jesus, you're possessed by some kind of spirit. That's why you're able to do all these weird things. And so what they're saying is you are doing this in the name of Satan. And here's Jesus, smart. He says, listen, a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. So if I'm coming in Satan's name and I'm casting out demons that are Satan's demons, we're going against each other and it will not stand. That's why he says that the strong man has to be tied up. And what he's simply saying is, I'm the strong man. Come on, everyone say that. Jesus is the strong man. What he's saying is, unless the stronger man comes in and ties up these spirits, then that other spirit will come and take over that person. So what he's simply saying is, I'm the stronger man. 
I am stronger than Satan and all these demonic forces that you think that I'm trying to cast out these demons in. I thought this was interesting because if you think about this, Jesus casting out demons shows that not only is he the stronger man, but Satan is now going to be bound, especially when he dies on the cross and resurrects from the dead. He's literally prophesying to what is going to happen. Let me pause here and just ask us, what are some things in your life that Satan's trying to overpower you in? I'm wondering if some of you have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you have not, I don't know how else to say this, but if the Holy Spirit is not in you, controlling you, leading you, then it has to be some other spirit. Some of you are oppressed. And I could come up with a whole list of symptoms why you could then say, maybe I'm oppressed. Some of us just have no desire and there's apathy when it comes to spiritual things. And sometimes that is a sign that Satan's trying to oppress you, take away any hunger and desire. Cynicism. Satan uses those things. Because it's amazing because the Bible says that we got to live by faith and it's being able to believe in the things that we don't see. But oftentimes cynics, they see things, but they don't want to believe it. Are some of us struggling with addictions? Like those are the things that Satan's trying to use to overpower you, to discourage you, to pull you away from the destiny that God has. That's why one of the things, even though we're all laced and tainted with self-centeredness, but that becomes on a high, it revs up really high when Satan wants to pull you away from doing the things of Christ. Because we're all selfish, yes, to some degree. But part of learning to live this Christian life is to think of ourselves less and to magnify God more. But the problem is so many of us are magnifying ourselves so much of what we need and this is how i want to live my life that jesus is nowhere in the picture and then in verse 28 through 30 we see that he mentions about blaspheming the spirit i don't have time to get into this but pretty much so that you understand there's an eternal sin that will not be forgiven some of you are like oh my god did i commit this unforgivable sin because i did say a bad word or i use God's name in somewhere, and I said something, oh my God, like, like, oh my God, oh, I did it. Like, some of us might be thinking, is that blaspheming the Holy Spirit? So I want to make sure we're clear. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is simply when you see the work of God, the work of Christ, and it is this attitude and this hostile, and even to this point of a rebellious spirit that you say, you know what? I refuse to humble myself and to receive what God has done for me. Because in essence, all sins can be forgiven. But there will come a time when if you do not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will die and you will spend the rest of eternity in hell. And at that time, you cannot beg God to get you out. Because that is a sin that's unforgivable and it's for eternity. So I just want to make sure that we understand this. That's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's not just saying bad words towards God, but it's when you see the works of God 
and with that attitude of rebellion and almost to the point where you are agitated and you don't want to do anything with God, and then you say, you know what? That is not the work of God. I don't care about it. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I want to just quickly jump into the second point as we think about this. We've been talking about Jesus' power that confronts evil spirits uh, that's around us in this world, maybe in some of us. But I want you to understand as we now kind of revisit the verse 13 through 21, you'll see that Jesus' power changes situations. I was thinking about what situations, because when we think about a lot of our situations, it relates to people. It's about relationships. And I want you to see here in these two other stories that Jesus' power is the only thing that could change the situation with your family, with other people. Some of you are discipling others, mentoring others. Only God, through Jesus Christ, His power can change people. So we want to go back and read verse 13 through 21. And we have to remember that a crowd was following Jesus, and they were coming from various regions. Remember, I shared that in the first point. Now let's read verse 13 through 21. And as we read this, I want you to just see this situation of just relationships and why it's so important. It says this, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonergus, and that is sons of thunder, Philip, excuse me, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas uh, Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then they went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Let me just quickly talk about this. One thing that we see all throughout the Gospels is that Jesus will go away in the busyness of ministry to spend some time in solitude to be with God the Father. So as we read in verse 13, we see that Jesus goes up to the mountain, and in other Gospels, we see that Jesus went up to the Gospel to pray. But here's the question. Why did he go up to the mountain, and why did he go up there to pray? as many of you probably know, and as we read this, it's because he had to make an important decision. He was going to pick the 12 apostles, and in this situation, he knew that he needed the wisdom and the power that's from above. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, and read the yellow section with me. It says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and come on, say this, All night he continued in prayer, to God, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Why is this important? Because he knew that he had to entrust this gospel message 
to these disciples or these apostles that he called who will then take this message and spread it to the ends of this earth. It was such an important decision that Jesus himself, the Son of God, God himself, had to go and pray to hear from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So this is my challenge to us. How many of us, when it comes to a decision, we seriously take time to pray? I think if you're like me, we can go through a whole day and make a lot of micro decisions, but we don't pray. I, I learned over the years that even sometimes some of the smallest thing to pray for, because that shows that you're depending on God. There are times when you're running late and you need that bus to come at that moment and go, Jesus, come right now. Something like, aren't you just trying to play like, you know, Russian roulette with God? You know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't come, then you don't love him. No, you're saying, God, I cannot do this by myself. You, you do what you got to do. Like, just think about a given day and all that you go through. And my question is, as you're making decisions, do you pray? As you're having a conversation with somebody, even before you go to that meeting, do you pray? No wonder sometimes after those meetings it turns out really bad. I guarantee you most of us probably didn't pray because we trusted in ourselves. What if you have to meet your manager? What if you have to meet your professor? How many of us, if the first thing that comes to our mind is like, oh, we should, I, I need to pray because I need the peace of God. I need the wisdom of God. I need the right words to say so that I could address or even explain whatever happened. Like that doesn't register in our minds because we're so self-sufficient. And no wonder we haven't experienced the miraculous. Because if something good happens, we just pat ourselves like, wow, I was a good talker. I convinced him really well. When was the last time he said there's no way to handle the situation there's a lot of conflicts going on. There's all this office politics, and only Jesus Christ can speak into this person's life. So God, speak through me. And then you go into that board meeting, and then you go into that classroom, and then you go into whatever in that cubicle, in your team meeting, and then you realize that the Spirit of God is working. I experienced this once again. Like, I don't think I'll ever be fully comfortable always preaching. What I mean by that is there's a little bit of nervousness as I come up. There's a lot of stuff going through my mind. That's why if I didn't say hi to you, forgive me, because I'm like in my zone. It's like game time. So I get in my zone. But I had to prepare and represent and speak on, on behalf of Southeast Asia. I had to present all of Hong Kong along with other people. And, you know, there are times when I'm like, if it was just a handful of people, we, we could just talk. But when you're doing it in a stage of several thousand people, then you just realize that this is way beyond you. And I started feeling that, that feeling that I felt when I was much younger, when everything was like, I, I don't know what to do, God. I need you to come. But this is the problem. As you get older, you get too, too confident in yourself. You trust in yourself. You're good at something. Because you've done it so many times over and over again. There's no need for prayer. You could do it in your sleep. Muscle memory. And I've spoken, I don't know, thousands and thousands of sermons. But I felt this weird feeling that I felt when I was much younger when I realized I really needed God. 
So I was asking some people to keep me in prayer because I'm going to be presenting this thing, and I really don't know if it's good. Well, the PowerPoint is good because we have some people who are always working on some incredible PowerPoints. I am forever grateful. And, you know, all the stuff is good here, but I don't know how to share this. And so I was feeling this nervousness, and I was thinking, God, what am I going to But then it just dawned upon me. I know this feeling. It's very familiar. I realized that was a feeling that I had when I started, first started preaching. And I said, God, and I had to like literally just take a, just a, a 20 second time out. And I just had to kind of calm myself. And I said, God, like, I know this feeling. Because if I trust in myself, this is going to bomb. So I need you. Give me the wisdom. And I'm telling you right now, when I went up to the various different gatherings and I had to present things, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just like speaking through me. Honestly, I don't even know what I said. Because sometimes I go off script. You guys all know, you know, like what I'm doing now. But I just started talking, and then afterwards, people were like, wow, like, they, they were talking with me. They want to know a little bit more about the circle, and I realized it was the Spirit of God. Then I'm like, why is it that we don't do this often? Before the exam, before that meeting, before that presentation, Learning how to pray, depend on God. Some of you are in the midst of making some big decisions. That's going to literally change the trajectory of your life. Who are you going to marry? Should you get into that relationship? Should you switch jobs? Should you move to a different city? Should you do that internship or do that exchange? Some of you are in the midst of some literally big decisions that will alter the destiny of your life. That's why I want to challenge us because some of us, we know it in our heads. Oh, we got to pray. And we even tell people, yeah, yeah, I got to pray. Keep me accountable. I want to pray. But if we really are honest before God, how many of us really spend time prayer in prayer? Here's Jesus, goes up to the mountain, spends all night praying because he has to make a decision that it's going to literally change the course of history because he's picking the 12 disciples. I love what R.A. Torrey said in his book, The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power. Listen to what he says. When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Gossip and backstabbing is not from God. That's your flesh, evil spirit, Satan inspiring you to do stuff like that, to hurt people. Sins within the church where you can hide what God sees. And that's why sometimes I'm wondering why our lives and even sometimes churches are so powerless. If we came together and we prayed, I think there will be less conflict, even though there will always be conflict. We'll be able to forgive one another. We'll be able to love one another, even though it's hard. Because we think about the grace and mercy we've received. 
So we want to reconcile. We want to be generous in our giving of forgiveness because God has been generous to us every time we sin. He forgives us. So we understand the gospel. So that's why we can love people and forgive people. Some of you don't even see it. The things that you're doing, you're breaking community. That's exactly what Satan wants. That's not what God wants. And instead of turning to God and praying for that person or for that situation, you start talking to everyone else and that doesn't help. So I'm wondering if this quote is true. If men and women in the church are coming together in prayer, they understand the importance of prayer. They are praying. They're desperate before God. Their face is before God and they're crying out to God. What he's saying is that Satan will know that his time is up. A church that prays, he cannot, Satan cannot come in and try to do something because we're connected to God. Can I get a good amen? amen. We're connected to God. And in that prayer life that we have, the lifeline with God, we're going to be so filled with who God is that no matter what situation we're facing, we can overcome it together. You will notice in verse 21, when Jesus went home, there was a crowd there. He couldn't even eat. And his, listen to what his family said. He is out of his mind. Or another translation, a mentally unbalanced religious fanatic. Look at the New American Standard Bible. He's lost his senses. And I, I like this one, the contemporary English version. It says this. They thought he was crazy and he, they went to get him under control. Oh my goodness. We're going to get him. We're going to close his mouth. We're going to tie him up. Even Apostle Paul, when he was trying to explain and give his testimony, you remember Festus? He was the Roman governor, thought that Paul was being crazy. Listen, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 26, verse 24 to 25. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Read the yellow section with me. It says this, I am not insane. This is Paul talking to Festus. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is what? True and reasonable. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are what? You are out of your mind. Paul, he shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. Just because you go to HKU, you know. Uh, someone said, can you stop saying UST? Because they're not all that smart. I'm like, okay, okay. So... Now I'm, I'm pumping the fuel for the fire, and now they really want to win and show them the math problem. They're going to win that one, okay? Anyway, I don't even know if we're going to do a math problem, but all your learning is driving you insane. The other translation, that was too much for Festus. He interrupted with a shout, Paul, you're, you're crazy. He said, you read too many books, spent too much time staring off into space. Get a grip on yourself. Get back in what? The real world. But Paul stood his ground. With all respect, Festus, Your Honor, I'm not crazy. I'm both accurate and sane in what I'm saying. Let me close off with this. Huh, it's about time. <laughs> the last part of the story in verse 31 through 35, and before we go into chapter 4 for next week. Are you following along? That Jesus is the only one who is, 
is praiseworthy. He, he's the only one that deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. Why? Because it's his power that is far different. It's noteworthy than anything other power. We see this when he confronts the spirits, and this is when he changes the situation. And he did it through relationships as he prayed and prayed for the people that he was going to choose. Now, I want to quickly touch upon the changing the situation with family. And his mother and his brother came, and standing outside, they sent, sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my brother, a mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let me first establish what he's not saying. He is not saying abandon your family. He is not saying that you should not take care of them. In fact, this is what we call a hyperbole in rhetoric. It's a rhetoric, a rhetorical exaggeration. So he's using extreme language to help us to understand the point that he's trying to make. And what is that point? The point is simply this, that when you do the will of the Father, and there are other people who want to do the will of the Father, it literally changes that relationship. That even though you're not blood related, that in many ways you are closer than a brother. Let me give you an example. Whenever I go on my travels, I, I have an opportunity to meet many, many people. And it, it, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing because I get to learn. But also it's a little bit hard because then you have more emails and more messages you got to respond to. So if I didn't respond to some of you, please forgive me. I'll, I'll get to it. And so when I meet these people, one of the things I've quickly come to the realization is this. When their heart is set on the kingdom of God and they want to do missions and spread the gospel, and if it's in line with what I'm sensing and what God is speaking to me about, I'm telling you right now, I might have just met them for 10 minutes, but I feel very close to them. Are you with me? Does that make sense? I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. It could be like the first getaway, you just sharing things, and also you feel like you're so close to that person. Yes, there's a sense of vulnerability, but also you have to understand it is the direction that you're going to. That's why, can I just share, some of you are thinking about relationships. If they are not going the same direction as you, I'm telling you right now, you're headed for trouble. This is an important point. Because what's going to happen is you know that you should go towards God, but maybe this person isn't. They want to go towards the things of this world. They will pull you away, and you will miss out on the very thing that God has for you until he breaks you or whatever happens to get you back. You could be attracted to that person. You could think they're the, fun <laughs> they're the funniest people in the whole wide world. You know, they're, they're uh, you know, above 5'8", the typical Asian height. You know, oh, my God, I don't have to look down on the, uh, these guys. I get to look up. Oh, my God, he is so tall. I mean, there's a lot of things, I'm telling you right now, that will draw your heart to it. But if they are not going in the same direction that you are going towards, that you will not reach your destiny. You can say, well, I'm the stronger one, so I will lead them. Trust me. I've heard many stories. That they call it missionary dating. <laughs> I'm on a mission. What kind? It's a mission. What kind? Because it sure ain't a God's mission. 
Because what happens is that you are there spending time because you want to try to evangelize to them. I was going to say something I should not say, but anyway, I thought I was in the street. But uh, (laughs) that's not true. Because I always tell people this, if they do come to Christ, how do you know they didn't do it for you? That's why when the first trial comes, they struggle. Because they came to know Christ because they want to be with you. If that is the motivation and it's not Christ, then you will have a very difficult life that you're setting forth for yourself. That's why direction is important. Are they headed in the same direction? Are the things that you desire, the things that you value, the kingdom of God, are those the things that they value? We don't even have to have a relationship seminar anymore, but here it is. This is what I'm saying. I just go off on tangent. I'm going to say focus. Anyway, um, that's not what we're saying. Fam- love family. Don't ignore them. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. The New Living Translation. If you want to be my disciples, you must what? By comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Let me just bring some closure to this. I know some of you are probably thinking, okay, he said a lot of stuff. But if you could just keep this thing in mind, I think it's going to help you. Bottom line is this. It is Jesus It is his power that we need because we have to confront some of these spirits that are real. Some of it is oppressing us. And the only way we're going to be able to fight it is when we get on our knees and we pray because it is through his power, through prayer, that we'll see situations change. Whether it's with our family, whether it's relationships, whether it's with people in your life group, whether it's people in our church, it has to be prayer. That's why the one thing, once again, is Jesus is the only one who's praiseworthy because his power is noteworthy. I have two things for application, and simply this. First, pray for Jesus' power in your life. Some of you are struggling. Maybe you are feeling oppressed. Pray. Pray for his power. If you can't do it, ask someone to pray for you, to pray for Jesus' power to come in. That's why some of you don't really understand the importance of receiving prayer. Because sometimes you you could do this by yourself, Lord, help me, help me. I mean, that's powerful. But when other people are agreeing with you and they're interceding for you, there is power. That's why at times when we have these different gatherings, prayer gatherings, whatever it is, when we put that person in the middle and everyone surrounds them and they're praying for them, there is power. And a lot of us don't see it. Oh, I wish we had these special glasses where we could put on and we could see all these evil spirits and all these heavenly spirits all around us. How important that will be if we can actually see it. Even though you cannot physically see, believe by faith that there are spirits. We're in war. And so if if some of us are struggling, pray for God's Jesus' power in your life. Call upon other people. Go to the pastors, go to your leaders, go to other brothers and sisters who love you and just say, hey, just, just pray for me. I need prayer. Let them lay their hands on you and pray for you. Experience that power in your life. Ask for prayer when you have to make an important decision. Ask for prayer when you're struggling through with different things. 
Don't just be by yourself and trying to handle it. You think you can handle it. Ask for prayer. Here's the second thing, and th this is the last thing. Not only pray for Jesus' power in your life, but pro proclaim Jesus' power in your life. One of the things that we're going to do is simply this. What is our theme for this year? And so we want to follow through on it. That's why we even started to study the book of Mark, so we could be a witness to his power. So what we are going to do throughout the rest of this year is that praise God for the tech team because they designed and they got all this stuff ready. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, they worked on this thing on our website where you can go to, and we're just, let's just go through it. If you go all the way down, it says here, how are you witnessing God? Check out our testimony here. And so what we're going to try to encourage you to do is click onto it, and then you could actually share your testimony. You know why we're doing this? Because we want not only to encourage us in our church, but we want to tell the whole world. Amen? You, you, some of you don't understand how much uh, tracking or people come into our website. And this website is connected to Facebook, connected to all these other social media. And there have been times, I'm, okay, I'm going to confess here. There's times when I don't even know what's on, on our webpage and on our social media. If it's on Twitter, I'll follow you. But I don't know what's going on in Instagram, all that stuff. And there are times when I meet someone, they go, hey, I heard you guys doing this 50 days of prayer. I'm like, how did you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we are. Oh, I just, I read some of those testimonies. I'm like, huh? Then you know what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. Oh, this is so good. It's like, it's like, wow, this is like stabbing your heart. And I realized, wow, in fact, God is using you to be able to proclaim to the world people that you don't even know of how great and awesome God is. That's why we want to be able to give you that space to get on the website, to click onto that thing, and then write up. You can read the testimonies, and then you can submit a testimony. And we want this to be a board where we can, whenever we get discouraged, we forget about God's power, all this stuff, just go on this and say, no, God, you're working. And when God is doing something in your life, use it not to brag about yourself, but to brag about God and to see it as an encouragement to other people who might be struggling with that issue as well. That's what proclaiming is. You are declaring out loud the power of Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing in you and in our church. I'm excited for what he's going to be doing this coming year. And let's pray that we'll make it all about Jesus. Come on, everyone say, make it all about Jesus. One, two, three. Make it all about Jesus. It's not about us. Let's make it about Him. Let's live our lives for Him. So I'm going to ask us to let's stand together as we close out here. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.